Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and if you have been listening to this podcast over the past few months and years, you know that I've spoken to someone from every state in the country, uh, and including D.C., at all levels of government, from U.S. Senate to Congress to state rep to school board and mayor and everything in between, including auditors. Um, but one thing I really haven't focused enough on is school board and um, the education policy in this country, something that is obviously very important to every parent, student, and resident, and it gets way a lot of attention, but people, I think, talk more about it than they understand about it. And I'm excited to go back to Florida after my last podcast recording in Alaska, so a pretty big gap in between, uh, to talk to my new best friend, Alexandria Ayala, and we're going to talk about her work in Florida on the school board and uh, what brought her there, what it's like there, uh, and you know what maybe you should pay attention to, too. So, Alexandria, thank you for talking today. Thank you so much for having me on, Tony. It's great to be here. So, for our listeners, for my listeners, uh, tell me a little bit about um, where you're from, because Florida is... A, it's a whole country in itself. It's a pretty diverse place from the tip to the top. <laughs> You're spot on there. Um, we have a big, big diverse family down here. I'm actually originally from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. I was born there. And when I was seven, my family and I decided to move to South Florida. I live in Palm Beach County. And um, I went to three schools there, grew up there, went to school at UCF, University of Central Florida, which is in Orlando. Lived there for about five years, working and finishing my degree, and then moved back down to Palm Beach uh, in 2016. So I've kind of always been a Florida Florida person after my time in Puerto Rico ended. I visit, but I don't reside there. And so Florida has all of us, you know, we have a mix of all the Hispanic, Haitian, all of the immigrants, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to partake, partake in that diverse community. And I, was re- I recently found out that there are actually very large populations of uh, Puerto Rican residents here in Pennsylvania. I, I knew that already, but I did not know that Pennsylvania had one of the highest amount of highest concentration of Puerto Rican residents in cities compared to so many other states. So maybe we're, we're more alike than we would think. I actually started recognizing that too, because in the forties, my dad from Puerto Rico lived in New York for some time and there was a big diaspora to the Bronx and Queens, and we obviously know that. My mom spent some time there as well. But now the Puerto Rican population outside of Florida has concentrated in Philadelphia, in Texas, and in parts of um, the, the Southwest. So I think it's really interesting to see the numbers growing. And I've seen both um, political parties try to make um, you know uh, appeals for the Puerto Ricans that come from the island once they register here in our in our system to pick their side and carry on the, the political um, advocacy. And so that's true. Every year, Florida's talked about election-wise as such an important state. And they always talk about the Puerto Rican population that both parties really try and work hard to uh, to negotiate that, to try and get some support. Uh, with that in mind, I always ask people, have you always been politically minded from growing up? Is it something that's just surrounding you or did something kind of spark whether it's an election or something in news that really got you more interested in the political process? That's a very good question. And I actually did not grow up being politically minded. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in Puerto Rico, like most countries in the Caribbean and Latin America, our political system is not ideal. There's mm -hmm. a lot of corruption, a lot of who do you know, who's your family, and a lot of internal inside baseball. And so my family, obviously, they were always participants. They voted, they registered, they supported their party, um, which in Puerto Rico, we don't have typical Democrats and Republicans. It's different parties, but they were never, you know, I never had a councilman or a mayor in the family. It was something that I never thought I would do. Um, I actually went to school for nursing when I started at the University of Central Florida and quickly realized that maybe it was not for me. So during that time, my sophomore year was uh, the 2012 election. And as you mentioned, that was the kind of spark for me. It allowed me an opportunity to get involved with uh, the UCF College Dems Club that was on the campus and start to understand how much local politics can help people if the right people are in office. And so I started knocking on doors, canvassing, phone banking, on election day, driving folks to the polls and talking with them about what it means to them. And that was what changed my trajectory. I changed my major from nursing to political science with a focus on American policy. And the rest is history, as they say. Um, so that was really what kind of opened my eyes to the importance of politics, how it's in every single thing, every single day, how we cannot remove ourselves from the importance of what it does for our lives and how much people benefit or are harmed by policies and those who make them. Yeah, I've talked to so many people on my podcast uh, who I know as friends or people that I just met on the podcast who talk about their first experience being college democratic politics. I mean, that's they went to a table or they got recruited in some way. Uh, and I'm sure that's true. That might still be true for some Republicans. But, uh, you know, I also remember being in college and thinking, yeah, I'm into politics, but those people seem a bit, they're, they're kind of nerds. They don't seem like fun. How do we engage people <laughs> in college and, like, get them motivated? Because it seems like once you get started in campaigning and volunteering in college, you kind of stick with it. Great point. And I think uh, pizza always helps. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have some food at the table and just, you're, you're right, it doesn't look like the most exciting group at first glance. But I think that what we need to, it's never been easier with what's going on in our country, with the recognitions and realizations that our generation and the generations after us um, will face as we try to become a country that lives up to our ideals. And I think that as young people, there is never a more opportune time to make sure that we un make them understand just how valuable their participation, their knowledge, and their experiences are to the process, right? Because after um, 2016, we've seen an incredible influx of young people in all sorts of positions of government. And I think we are all the better for it because we're, the young people are actively living decisions that have been made for them, understanding them, coming into a world that economically is not what it was 30, 40 years ago, coming into a space where we're recognizing and reconciling the history of our country. Um, so I think that we have to go where people are, understand what topics interest them, something that can't be overstated is the importance of the environment. That was something that always everyone can agree on. We want to protect our planet. We want to stop climate change. So I think just understand what issues are topical to people, connect with them in creative ways, and make sure that we're making, you know, young people invest time, they want to get something out of it. So give them opportunities for leadership, give them opportunities to lead people, and give them opportunities to grow as individuals while they're also together growing as a group that has certain goals and, and a vision in mind. And you talk about getting young people to pay attention to local offices, getting involved at all levels. 
But I, I know you know this from following you online. The the average age of someone in a school board is much older than you and even me. I, it's the average age, from my understanding, of a school board member is fifty nine years old across the country. I don't know what it's like there, but I'm sure you are now one of the younger members, youngest members of the school board in Palm Beach County, right? I am the youngest, and it's my privilege and honor to have made history by not only becoming the youngest member of Palm Beach County School Board in, I think, history, Mm -hmm. as far as everyone can remember it, but also the first Latina, the first woman that's Hispanic to serve on the board, even though 37% of our students are of Hispanic or Latin descent. So it's really something that is just a coming, it's a generational shift in our politics. And I don't think it could come at a better time for young people to know that their voices are needed, their voices matter, their experiences are needed to guide our country in the right direction. I've talked to so many people, uh, including uh, recently Edgar Flores, uh, an assemblyman from Nevada, um, and he, we we're talking about the uh, how hard it is for a person to be in office because it's... Um, you have to have the right kind of job that gives you the flexibility of time. You have to have close to where you're going to work because he's got to go to the, the state capitol and he's a lawyer so he can do it. Maybe it's easy, It's easier for local office for those things. But um, why is it important with people who are younger, 30 and their 20s and 30s, to run for something like school board when, you know, it, it, it takes up a lot of time? Uh, you know, your schedules may be harder to do to negotiate that. Why is it important for us to prioritize younger voices that get involved in school board elections? You hit the nail on the head there. Um, It is very difficult for a young person who is either starting or in a mid-level of their career to commit to running for office at any level. Um, Most of our legislature here in Florida, which is a part-time legislature, they're attorneys, they're real estate agents, Mm -hmm. something that gives them that flexibility. And I'm sure that's the case around the country making there's barriers of entry. We have to be upfront about that, recognize that and work to tear them down. So we have a more accessible um, point of entry for those who are excited, qualified and talented to get into public service. But for me, it was very difficult. Um, I have a background in working in public service. I've worked for the Florida legislature as a legislative aide to a member of the House of Representatives here. I've worked for a county (coughs) commissioner in our Palm Beach County Commission. So I've understood that. And, you know, we're not exactly making um, $100,000 a year working in public service, Mm -hmm. far from it. So you're already kind of, I do it because I love it. It's not because I want to make money or get rich. And when you, I decided to run, it was a big decision because at the time I was working for the county commission. And while there was nothing legally barring me from maintaining both the county commission role and being on the school board, if I was to be elected, it's just, asking for trouble. There's a lot of opportunities for ethical um, crossover where I would have to recuse myself. And I just thought it wouldn't be a good idea. So I am one of the fortunate ones who met someone who is an attorney. I work at a law firm as their director of communications and community engagement with a full understanding from my employer of the needed flexibility of remote work and of a salary that compensates my salary as a school board member to make a living, right? Because at the school board, and living in Palm Beach County, which has one of the highest rate costs of living in the country, um, is, is not enough for someone like me. If I was retired and had a pension and had other income, that's a different story. But we have to confront. We're not going to fix the issue of needing new voices in the room until we confront that it's incredibly difficult to find an opportunity to do so. And my colleagues, um, for the most part, are retired or near retirement. There's one 
two people working right now. Um, one is an, a realtor and one is a partner at a law firm who's on his way to retirement. Um, the second youngest person on my board is in her mid forties. I'm 28. So there is quite the generational gap between us, which leads to the recognition that economically career wise, we're not in the same position to take as much Liberty with positions to run for office. And that is something that needs to be corrected. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of people talk about who should run and talk about, like, your resume. But government's not about a resume in terms of who's office. Government's supposed to be representative. And I assume from your experience on school board and the county level and in the state that it's very rare that any government these days is, is truly representative of the communities it represents. Unfortunately, that's the case because... There's a lack of communication and understanding with these communities. There's a lack of, there's even a thought I've heard many times that, well, we can't find someone with the credentials from the community to represent the mm -hmm. community. And I, I just do not believe that. I think there is a lot of work that needs to be done and some wonderful organizations in our state and around the country are doing that work of recognizing that we need to be where people are. We need to be accessible. We need to make be training folks to understand because Running for office and being in office are a whirlwind, and you need serious, you know, tools going into that process. It's very difficult. It's taxing emotionally, financially on your family, and we need to prepare folks, not just say, we think you would be great, let's do this and throw them to the wolves. There are a lot of steps that need to be taken to give an opportunity for folks who represent their community to run, not only as we discussed financially and with giving them the opportunity to, you know, our state legislatures state legislators make 29k a year so who can afford to do that and be gone from a job that they have to do to survive three months out of the year it's it's not and and committee weeks which happen throughout the entire mm -hmm. year at different times so it's we have to think about how it's set up right to exclude certain people and that's just the reality so combating that is something that's going to take intentional work intentional building and grassroots community out outreach an intentional understanding from the workforce and what the American workforce looks like, that if we want to make this diverse, we need to give folks the opportunity and the faith that they can have a job that gives them flexibility to go and do the good public service work that they can do and lift up their own communities. Yeah, so you're working to do that on the school board. I know that, that representation makes a big difference there. But I also know that school board in Florida, school board in every state is different. Uh, you know, here in um, my county, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, we have, I don't know, five million school boards, it seems. You know, um, I love our school board, actually. I was sad that people weren't running again. I'm glad that we have good people running. So, But it's a local school board. You guys, I guess, have a county system. What What's the system like for who the school board represents? Like, it's not just a little sliver of a district. It's the whole, whole kit and caboodle Absolutely. Um, so Palm Beach County is the 10th largest district in the county, in the country, excuse me. So 10th largest district in the country. We have nearly 200 schools, nearly 200,000 students that are served. And we are the largest employer in the county. Total employee count of about 24,000 and about 12 to 13,000 of those are teachers. So we're talking big. And to our south, we have Broward and Miami-Dade counties, which are respectively number six and number three in the country. So we're a big chunk of students in public education down here in South Florida. And how we break it up in Palm Beach County is there are seven member districts. So years ago now, I think over a decade, 
they broke it up from everyone serves the whole county to single member districts, meaning that you run in a particular area and only certain people who reside within that area can vote for you and you represent certain schools and certain uh, cities and towns. So that is how, and there are seven of us. Um, I represent District 2, which is central Palm Beach County, and all of the districts have individual characteristics and different um, income levels, different um, racial and ethnic um, percentages, different, all very, very different. Um, the north part of the county and the south part of the county are completely different and in mm-hmm. between. So it's, you know, what, what we have now in the makeup of the board is I am, like I mentioned earlier, the first Hispanic woman. We have uh, two uh, women of color who are African-American. Um, we have one male, a white man who is our chair, and we have three uh, white women. So that's the makeup of the board, which if you look at our district makeup, like I said, 37% of our district is Hispanic, um, about 28% is black, uh, and the rest is white, other, um, mixed, and et cetera. So right now, I think the board, if we're looking at just representation on, you know, people and race, ethnicity, religions, we're, we're, we're in a pretty diverse moment right now, but age-wise, we're not. And that's where I think about the students who are facing things today that certain people of a certain age that when they were in school, school was incredibly different and the pressures on students were wildly different and social media didn't exist. And, you know, all of the pressure that comes with an economy that doesn't always make us feel certain about, should I go to college? Should I not? Can I afford it? I mean, these things are just completely different and having folks up there who see the world in that lens is really important. So I have a ton of respect for my colleagues, not to say that if they were all elected again and again, I would have a problem with it. We don't have term limits here. So I have a a colleague who's been on 20 years. I have colleagues who have been on 10 years, some who have been on eight. Um, And so it's, you know, we've had a pretty consistent set of people who have governed the school board here in Palm Beach County for a very long time. Yeah, I uh, was thinking, I was born in 1980. And it feels like the best time to be born in a way because you get all the advantages of the technology and resources of the late 90s without like, you know, polio from decades before. But also you don't have to deal with all of the stress and complications of social media as a kid. I worry about my my son is seven and, you know, he's only going into second grade. My other son's going to kindergarten. But I know that like you can't leave the bullying because it happens on your cell phone as soon as you leave school. Um, I remember when I was, you know, in my 20s and my cousin who was 10 years younger was getting a cell phone. I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And like, there's no pay phones to call. Like, I have to have a – there, there's a, a big disconnect in what older people know about younger people than what someone who's younger like you know about what younger people are dealing with, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I was in this district 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I graduated from a high school in the county in the district I represent in 2011. Um, so being born in 93, I have, I very rarely remember a time without technology. I had a cell phone, I think in middle school, one of those just flip dial because I, I needed to contact my mom. I needed to contact my family in the event something happened. And you're right. We, we weren't crossing the street to go to the payphone and put quarters in. It was just a completely different world. And what it opened up was a lot of good and a lot of harm. And mm-hmm. I think we're still reconciling what schools, what public education means in a child's life and in a student's life as they grow and become young adults. And that's the thing where I really value having young perspective and student voice actively involved in our decision-making. And so, 
you know, our, our, our board has seats up every four years. Um, we have four year terms. So we, you know, every two years, there's folks who are up based on the, the cycle of their, mm-hmm. their term. Next year, we have four seats up for election in 2022. And um, we'll see how that, how that goes. But I think that it's important to stress the importance of school boards, right? There's a lot of young people who, some who do envision themselves being in public service or elected office younger, and some who come at it at a different time in their lives. But school board is never the first thing they think of. I have a lot of time explaining and convincing folks why it's so important and how much power there is in educating our youth and our future. But everybody wants, you know, the the state house, the state legislature, the, the, the city government is even more enticing. And school boards need quality, good, talented people to commit themselves to the work. And I'm sure it's even more true where you are than here, but the school board ends up taxing people more than most city governments. It ends up, you know, having more influence on a lot of building and infrastructure projects than a lot of city governments and local governments. It has much more power than I think a lot of people realize when they're voting, whether they're young voters or older voters. People don't pay attention to the the school board elections often get like 15% turnout when it has more direct impact than almost any other election that you're going to vote in. Exactly right. I Our budget right now at the Palm Beach County School Board is $3.8 billion mm-hmm. with about $300 million of that being assets and buildings and infrastructure and the land and the building that we oversee. So that's just structural and operational. And then we cover the academic, the purchasing and the other sides of the, of the, of the budget. But that's a huge deal, yeah. right? Combined, I think, there's, there are probably multiple cities within Palm Beach County that combined wouldn't add up to what we do. Um, our biggest ally would be the county itself, the county government, which would have a big budget and a lot of employees like we do. But that's the thing. It needs people who come from diverse backgrounds, right? A, a board, in my opinion, should not be made up of folks who only come from education. That was something that I talked about a lot about during my campaign. Um, with my background in legislating, and seeing policy be created from the bill writing to it becoming law and working in county government where we're helping constituents with different departments and services of a county government, whether it's a road or a shelter or something that affects their life, I felt was incredibly valuable. Someone who has seen on the other side of government, not on the front end, but on the back end as staff and interacted with staff who handle the day-to-day operations of a government I think is so incredibly valuable, right? You don't want people who all think the same and see the world the same way to be creating policy because it, it will be limited in its scope and in its impact. So it's really important that we put an emphasis on why school boards need young, talented, diverse people and diverse in all ways, right? Especially in careers and in backgrounds, in race and ethnicities and in languages and all sorts of things so that everybody feels represented, but also so that policy is created in a way that's equally beneficial and equitable in a way where voices are represented at the table in a way that hasn't happened in the past. And that's why it's so important that school boards get just as much attention as, you know, your state house seats, your state Senate seats and your congressional runs, which are all super important. But what happens in our local government day to day, the people you can run into at your grocery store, they affect you more day to day than the people who are in the legislature and in Congress. Yeah, and I, I think about how with the last president, 
uh, when he was running, people were like, oh, we need a businessman. Government should be run like a business. And but it's not like government isn't necessarily supposed to be representative of every group that it um, sells cookies to. Whereas a government is uh, supposed to be like that. So business and government shouldn't be run the same way. It's because you have a different goal in mind than what someone who's selling crackers or selling cars has in mind to, to accomplish. I agree, absolutely. So one, one thing, of course, it's very important right now, where there's a lot of backlash against educators, against school districts, etc. Um, a lot of very worrisome, conspiracy-minded people running for those law offices across the country, including here in my district, where they pretend that it's not, but it's worrisome, the money that goes into it in dark money groups. Um, are you seeing that kind of attack on schools locally? And, and what should people do to pay attention to make a difference? Oh, we are. Um, last month, we had a meeting going until 1 a.m. with some very um, concerned parents and community members who showed up. Um, I don't think school boards have been under as much pressure as ever in history mm -hmm. as they have over the last year and a half with the pandemic. And in Florida, public education has always been something that's kind of under attack one way or the other. Our legislature has not exactly been always supportive of um, public education and instead has opted to support, you know, charter programs, vouchers, private schooling. And that, that's just a, a reflection of who's in our legislature and the economic interests that lie behind those decisions. Um, and often public education has paid for that. And down here in the South Florida counties, we are often in the crosshairs with the state um, because of our more let's say, open-minded, and we're, we're Democrat counties, right? We're Democrat-led counties. Most of our elected officials are Democrats. Our legislature has been um, under Republican rule for 20-plus years at this point. So it's going to be a little bit of a com combat every time that we want to have a discussion on funding, on curriculum, and on different things like that. But I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I have followed ed public education for a long time, not always specifically at the Palm Beach County School Board level, but always at the national level, at the state level, very much so when I was working there. That was always a huge priority for me, and now I get to see it firsthand. And, I mean, I, I, I've seen and heard things I never thought I would, right? There's been a lot of just rhetoric, aggression, yelling, screaming, name-calling. We get called every name in the book, um, whether we're talking about should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? How do we protect our employees and our students, of which we have a very large number of people to protect? Um, how do we reopen schools safely? How do we distance appropriately? What distance is enough? Um, talking about equity in education, that's been a huge battle. That was another, um, another unpleasant time, having a conversation with folks that feel that there's indoctrination or other things going on. There's just a lot of buzzwords. And you kind of hit on it earlier in the podcast where there's a lot of talking about things that go on on school boards, but not I don't think a lot of comprehension on what things actually mean. So we've been facing that. And my colleagues who have been on the board longer than I, they've never seen anything like it either. You know, we just kind of talk at meetings when we're next to one another about the setting. And it's been, you know, hard. It's been emotionally difficult and taxing as humans to go into a setting where you're being yelled at and called names and no decision you make is right and no one's happy and you're just trying to lead a system in the most safe and most conservative way possible to avoid liability, right? Because the last thing we want to see is a decision we make cost someone their life, which is what COVID put us in, 
right? right. If you had, how many people lost a loved one, lost a family member, lost a friend to a disease, and we cannot, with good conscience, make decisions that are too liberal in allowing folks to, um, you know, not follow, not not follow recommendations. So it's been a very tense time where nothing is right, and I think that school boards and school board members who have been around a long time, which most of them have been, and as you said, the median age is about fifty nine years old. They're facing new, 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 new um, peaks and valleys. It's a new world for school board members that we're all figuring out what to do. And I jumped right in the middle of it. I mean, I won my election in August of 2020 and was sworn in in November of 2020, right in the middle of completely virtual that was completely redesigned at the last minute to be virtual and then easing back into simultaneous teaching, which was a complete just a complete overhaul and teachers were so stressed about those conditions because you're teaching to a screen mm -hmm. and to people. So it's just something that I never thought I would witness. You, you don't, I, I never, when I filed to run in January, 2020, this was the last thing I could have expected to have come. Yeah. And you know, you talk about the, the stress on people and it seems like politicians, it, it's just easy for anyone to just hate anyone who's in politics, even though there's 500,000 elected people in, in this whole country, which means that they went up against 500,000 other people. So there's a million people that are in or have run for office at the very least. It's not a tiny, tiny amount of people. And then there's the staff the you know who work there and uh, in government. Uh, so I worry about all of this conservative backlash on cultural issues on, and conspiracies and insanity that it has a chilling effect on people, you know, for their own mental health, choosing not to run and giving up really talented people to be in the position that you were in. Absolutely. Not only does it have a chilling effect on, you know, the immediate thought, which is education, mm -hmm. facts, truth, history, and how teachers feel just terrified of making a wrong statement and being sued, being fired. That's one thing, which this whole thing and this movement has really put us on edge about how to teach, how to educate, how do we present facts. But outside of that, thinking about the mental health of the folks who are doing the work, right, like myself, like you, like those who are in the arena um, and who are not on the sidelines with the luxury to just spew whatever is at the top of our mind but have to actually make decisions that will impact thousands, millions of people, Um it's been really, really difficult. And it's a conversation I've had a lot with colleagues and folks in the mental health space. There are very few resources that are comprehensive and sustained for elected officials to go through the process of, I'm a candidate, I won, oh my goodness, what do I do, what's next? And I'm in the seat and I am now in the hot seat, I should say, and dealing with everything from here to Sunday. I mean, and I think about that because in the same way that there's a detraction in folks wanting to get involved in the first place due to the difficult schedule and financial implications of running for office and winning a seat and having to take a pay cut or what have you, this does the same thing. And there are people lining up out the door who see what we're going through and say, I want to do that. You know, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're struggling to find anyone who thinks that this is something they want to pursue because your life is picked apart. You are bullied and harassed on social media and you're you're seeing things said about you and your family and we you know you learn to kind of let it roll off you you learn to not look at it you learn to not have it obsessively up and looking and reading comments but it's still a human being on the other end of that position of that title of that seat 
And that is something that I think is a huge detractor to young people, young professionals who want to settle down, want to start a family or thinking about their careers, want to enjoy life. And, you know, we're all having families later and later in life to figure out what we want to do as individuals. That's a trend that's been happening. Why would you give up some of that youth and freedom to come do this, even though it's something you're passionate about? And that's something that's real and that I don't blame people because there have been times I've asked myself and I'm sure you and everyone mm-hmm. else this year, Oh my goodness, what did I do? Do I want to do this again? How do I go on? Because it's been so incredibly difficult and taxing. And I, I think it's just, we need to find a space for elected officials to connect with one another on the difficulties emotionally of serving because public service is amazing and a privilege, but it comes at a cost of a person who has to deal with things that other people may not have to deal with, and how do we help them process that? Great. So I think that's a good transition to um, something there with people look at being in office as very daunting, much less running for office. And there are people there out there to help. I really like the group Run for Something, which is how I learned about you. Um, the YEO Network, the Young Elected Officials Network, I don't know if you're a part of that, but it's great. Are there any other kind of groups, or you, know, you can endorse those, of course, that help you know that you're not on your own if you decide to get involved in politics? I am a proud member of both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, Run for Something endorsed my campaign. I Before that, I got to serve as a mentor to other folks running for office around the country, which was such an incredibly enriching and valuable experience for me. And YEO has been really helpful with the policy ideas Um, Another group that's helped me is New Leaders Council. I'm a graduate of the class of 2018 of the Palm Beach County chapter. And while not everyone there has run for office or wants to run for office, it's just a good group of young people who I've connected with, not just my chapter, but nationally. And they understand all of the struggles we're talking about and how they manifest in our life, whether or not we're running for public office. So many of us have the same difficulties, right? What, what, what am I going to do in my career? What's next for me? Do I want to start a family? Do I not? They're, we're just going through similar things. And finally, a local group, which I kind of hope could be a model for things that can be replicated nationwide and for folks who need this kind of help. It's Politicom. So Politicom, C-A-L-M. They're a local organization, um, nonprofit that was recently founded, I think within the last eight months is when she really, um, took it off the ground by a local city commissioner in the city of Boynton Beach, Florida, Christina Romulus. And she ran for office very young. I I believe she was 26 when she ran, which was the the age I was when she first ran. She was pregnant. um, And she ran a campaign as a young Haitian woman who was pregnant against an incumbent and won. And so it was this incredible story of the challenges but the, and, and, and the successes, but the entire journey. And so if anyone gets it, you know, if anyone has been dragged through the mud, if anyone has been questioned and challenged and had to face really difficult questions about why are you doing this? You don't belong here. Why don't you do something else? It's her. And she was incredibly helpful to me. And, and the, I think it's about the program, right? The program was incredibly helpful to me in helping me navigate that transition from I was running and the kind of the high that that is the depression that comes after the campaign, because I don't know if that was the case for you, but I kind of went into a, a people list void after I won the, the campaign. I kind of just felt so drained 
And like I had given so much that I kind of fell into a little bit of a, a low and coming out of that and being like, I'm going to be sworn in in November. I only have these months to learn as much as I can and get ready. And how do I mentally combat that challenge? So I feel like we need to start thinking of programs offered in that space of mental health, conversational, meditative support and recognition of the hard work that elected officials do. Yeah, when when this goes up, I'm going to definitely share the link for Politicom. That is something that I'm looking at the link right now as we talk, and it's something that's very, very important, and I see your name right there. So um, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you're doing that. I think that this is one of those things where having a perspective like yours creates an organization like that. Obviously, you didn't create it, but those that's why getting different perspectives is good. And the way to get different perspectives in office is to run for office. So um, I'd like to conclude with that. You see the importance of having a voice like yours in school on a school board, especially a school board of your size. Why should what, what advice would you give or encouragement would you give right now um, to people to say start planning to run, whether it's this year or in two years, um, wherever you are? I I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to um, share my story, and I just I like to do these things in the hopes that other people resonate and relate and feel that they can see themselves in my story and pick something out that's valuable to them. Um, I never grew up thinking I'm definitely running for office and that's okay. Not everyone who's in political office and in public office grows up thinking that not everyone who is only does it for the position or the title. There are good people who want to do good things, who just care about their community. And if that's you And if you have something, everyone has something to contribute, right? Whether it's your experiences, your career, your life story, um, or uh, someone, something that happened to you that you can share to help others, you have something positive to contribute. So my advice is, number one, um, if you have the opportunity to, in your city, your village, your town, your county, wherever it is that you live in your jurisdiction, and even on your school boards, because many of them have them, be interested in serving on an advisory committee or a board for one of your local governments to understand, you know, whether it's the planning and zoning board, the library board, the tree board, something that you care about, understand the inner workings of how government makes things operate. How do they make decisions on this and get that knowledge Then find a role where you think that your passion and your experience will be a good match. You know, I ran for school board because my mom's a teacher. I went to three schools in this district and I represent them with pride and joy And because I understood the system as it was today and my legislative experiences working for government gave me tools that I felt would be really, really useful at the school board level. So we can come at it from all sorts of different ways, but just be informed, know who's running your governments, get to know them, look them up online, connect with them, ask them for their perspective, serve on a city border committee, and make sure that you are ready to give your voice for whatever that means. It doesn't have to be for elected office. We need organizers. We need activists. We need supporters every step of the way. So that's my advice and my recommendations because I think the more voices we have in the mix, the better. Well, I'm glad that your voice is in the mix, Alexandria, and I hope that everyone can take your story and be inspired to run, especially for school board. It is not a little bit important. It's not a stepping stone. It's... I mean, though it can be, but it is a vitally important election, and there are thousands of school board races across the country. Uh, We need representation on them from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, If people are interested in following Alexandria, it's Alexandria Ayala on 
at Alexandria Ayala on Twitter. I'll tag that as I post it. Um, are there any other places that you definitely want people to follow you? Because, you know, whether on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, like what, where would you like people to follow you to follow to learn more? Twitter is definitely the best way. Um, my Facebook is mostly official updates. So if you want to interact with me in a more candid way, I recommend reaching out to me on Twitter like, like you did. And we were able to connect. Thanks to run for something or just, you know, sending me a private message or tagging me. And I'd love to connect and give any advice I can or just share my story with you. Great. Thank you so much. And if you're listening, hopefully you will run for office too. Thanks so much, Alexandra. Thank you, Tony.